Welcome to the New Life Podcast. Here we want you to experience the grace of God. So through this sermon, we hope to come alongside you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about New Life, please visit our website at newlifeonline.org. Here's today's message. This sermon series is uh, uh, about supporting caste. Uh, and it's ordinary people with an extraordinary God. Or sometimes what I like to call it is fascinating stories of forgotten people. Some of the minor characters of the Bible. We talk a lot about Abraham and Moses and things like that, but rarely do we talk about some of the ones we've talked about. Habakkuk, you've heard about Habakkuk. Uh, you've heard about Barnabas. Uh, you're going to hear about Achan, I think. And you're going to hear about Ananias. Um, some of the ones that... Um, People don't know everything about. Um, and sometimes we, we gloss over these people, but the neat, the neat thing about God is he can use ordinary people in an extraordinary way to accomplish his purpose. And when he starts talking about using ordinary people, I kind of perk up because, like you, I'm an ordinary guy. And with that God can use and will use ordinary people is an amazing thing. Uh, so today... We are going to talk about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Um, and this springs out of a class that I was teaching uh, on a Sunday morning uh, as we leading up to Easter. And we were talking about the last week of Jesus, he, how he entered the, uh, uh, on Palm Sunday and then eventually was on trial, crucified, and then buried. And it came up that in the course of talking about him being buried this fellow named Joseph of Arimathea came up. And we sometimes gloss over that because the Easter story, the death, resurrection of Jesus is so huge and so important to us. We sometimes just gloss over about this guy named Joseph of Arimathea. And he popped up and I thought, I'd like to know more about this obscure fellow. Um, And what I found, and we're going to talk about today, he was a man of great courage. More so than the heroes like Peter, or the 12 disciples. He was a man of great courage, and he was a man that held on to hope. So we want to talk this morning about what we can learn from Joseph of Arimathea, not only about God, but also about us. So the main text we're going to use, and it'll be on the screen here, is in Mark 15. But to kind of set the stage for that, uh, we, we kind of know the story. Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He then is arrested on Thursday. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's, where he's arrested. He's then put on trial before the Jews and the Romans and the Jews and then back to the Romans. He's condemned to die. Um, and he's murdered on Good Friday. And the problem that they faced is they needed to get the bodies off the cross because it was the Passover and they don't want to have bodies lingering on the cross and they needed to get the bodies off the cross. So follow along, and I'm going to read here from Mark 15, starting in verse 42. And this, he's mentioned in all four Gospels. We're going to touch all of them. Um, so here it is. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. 
Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So here's the story of the burial of Jesus. You know, oftentimes at Easter time and before Easter, we talk about the trial. Or we talk about the death. Rarely, and I can't remember when I've ever, ever heard a sermon or a teaching on the burial of Jesus. How important was the burial of Jesus? And where does this Joseph of Arimathea play into this? Because he's there, and then we don't hear anything else from him for the rest of the Bible. So what do we know about this guy, Joseph of Arimathea? Well, a few interesting facts. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling body of, of the time. It's 71 members, Jewish leaders, politicians, religious authorities, civic authorities. It was a 71 member of Jews. And of course, at that time in Jerusalem, the Jewish people weren't in power. It was the Romans. So they were like a subordinate to the Roman overarching authority, but they still maintained some control over religious, uh, some civil, and some cr criminal matters. So we know that Joseph was a prominent, it says he was a prominent member. He wasn't just a new guy or a rank-and-file guy. He was a prominent member of the council. That means he was kind of a, a big shot uh, at, at the time, a man of influence. And we also know that, that uh, we read earlier in one of the Gospels that he initially was opposed to putting Jesus to death. Back when they were voting whether to go after Jesus, arrest him, and kill him, he was opposed to that. And we read this in Luke chapter 23. It says this. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he was a dissenting voice on this Jewish council that voted to crucify Jesus or to send him to the Romans to be uh, crucified. So he was a man of influence amongst the Jews. He was a prominent member, but also amongst the Romans. That's pretty impressive. He, he was able to go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I bet not everybody had access to Pilate. He was the Roman governor. He was the ruler of the whole territory. But Joseph was such a man of influence that he was able to approach Pilate to ask for the body and have it granted. So much so that Pilate even commanded a centurion. At the request of Joseph, Pilate commands a centurion to go see if, the, if Jesus is dead. So Joseph was a man of, he was a prominent man. He was a man of influence. He was a man that people listened to. He was a big shot of the day. But we also know he was a man of great wealth because grave plots back then were very expensive. Only the rich people could afford tombs like he had. Uh, there was a private tomb hewn out of rock. Most people didn't have the wherewithal to have anything like that. So we know he was a rich man. Now, what about his character? Um, he honored the dead body of Jesus. He showed respect and honor to a dead person for his mentor. So we, were gonna, we read earlier that he was a he was waiting for the kingdom of God. He was a secret follower of Jesus. So when his mentor and his teacher dies, he wants to show him respect, even at great financial cost to himself. So he, he was the kind of guy that showed respect and love for his teacher. We know he was already a believer. And a matter of fact, he's referred to in the gospel of Matthew as a disciple. 
So let me read this. This is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew 27. It says this, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, as a guy, who himself, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. So the important part there is that he had himself become a disciple of Jesus. So what does that mean? You know, we know that there are 12 disciples that follow Jesus, but there also was a secondary group outside the initial 12 that were also disciples, followers, learners. They were the people who followed Jesus around listening. So that tells us about Joseph, that he had been with Jesus, probably heard teachings like the Sermon on the Mount and the parables and things like that, probably heard a lot of the teachings of Jesus, perhaps seen a miracle, maybe seen a blind man have his sight return, the lame man walk. Um, But we also know he was a secret disciple, kind of a closet disciple. He put his faith and trust in Jesus, but he was a little timid and held back. And now he finds himself, Jesus' dead body is on the cross, and he finds that his colleagues, his Jewish colleagues, had instrumented the killing of what he thought was the Messiah. And his hope for deliverance was shattered as the man he had put his trust in, that he thought would be the great deliverer, was now a lifeless corpse. So that's the situation Joseph finds himself in when he looks at the dead body of Jesus and sees this is all hope I put in this guy is now gone. But we see also he was a man of courage, incredible courage. He, when he asked for the body of Jesus from Pilate, he is publicly identifying himself as a follower of Jesus. Before he'd been a secret follower, now he's a public follower of Jesus. If it had been a secret so far, now there was no mistake that because he, he purposely and publicly went and asked for the body of Jesus. And you know, what, what is, makes this so unique and noteworthy is this. All the other followers of Jesus, the disciples, especially Peter, they fled. Remember the garden when they arrested Jesus? It says they all fled. We know that one guy, John, stayed around. He was at the foot of the cross. But everybody else took off scared to death. Even Peter, the great Peter who wrote great chunks of the New Testament, the great Peter who spoke powerfully, even Peter denied Christ three times. Not Joseph of Arimathea. Remember there were two guys on the road to Emmaus walking away from Jerusalem. It says they were downcast because they had put hope in Jesus and their hope was now shattered. Everybody's walking away, but not Joseph of Arimathea. He goes forward. He leans into being identified as a follower of Jesus. So what would cause a man like this not to bail like everybody else bailed and risk his political future, his livelihood, perhaps even his life? We know that he was used by God in a very unique and powerful way. You know, back in Isaiah 53, when it's referring to the Messiah, it refers that the Messiah, it says this, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. So one of the prophecies of Jesus is that he would be buried 
with the rich. Now, this is a significant departure of the custom of the day. In the custom of the day, if someone was crucified, criminals usually, they were crucified, uh, their bodies were either left on the cross for days so that the animals could have at it or people could go by and uh, yell and scream. And, and, and also it served as a warning that if anybody wants to violate the Roman authorities, this is what could happen to them. But when the bodies were up there for days, they would take them down, they would throw them in a mass grave outside the city. There'd just be this pit where they'd throw the dead bodies. So that's what would have happened to Jesus had it not been for Joseph of Arimathea. So he was used by God to fulfill this prophecy from Isaiah 53. If you were there and you were kind of keeping track of the prophecies to see if this Jesus really was the Messiah, you would have known that he was to be buried with a rich man. And you're looking at his body knowing they're going to throw it in this mass grave outside of town with everybody else. And then he goes and, be, and he's buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man. That's a check. One more check that the prophecies of the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus and he is the Messiah. Now, we also know from uh, the, gospel, the gospel message in John that Joseph of Arimathea was joined by Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus, there's a whole other character we could talk about. He was another member of the ruling council. He also was a secret disciple, secret follower of Jesus. If you remember, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It says this man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night because he's scared. He doesn't want to identify with Jesus. He's kind of undercover uh, following Jesus around, but doesn't want his contemporaries to know that. Well, here in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus also publicly identifies. You read, listen to this in the Gospel of John, John 19. It says this, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. Here it is. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was a Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So why did Joseph of Arimathea do this? What, why did he risk everything he had to identify with Jesus at this particular time? You know, it would make more sense if he would be like the other disciples and be discouraged and downcast, depressed, all is lost, and walk away. And then after Jesus rises from the dead, kind of get on the bandwagon. But he identified when hope was lost. And that sets him apart from almost every other follower of Jesus. He could have jumped on the bandwagon later, but he identified with Jesus even though it appeared to be hope was lost. So what can we learn from Joseph of Arimathea? Lessons about God, for example. His prophecy, we talked about that. The pro his prophecy comes, is fulfilled. Jesus is the Messiah. The resurrection is true. You know, if you think about it, 
What would there be if there weren't, if there's no, if there's no empty tomb, there is no resurrection. There is no, and every, we are all, it says in 1 Corinthians, we are all followers of Jesus in vain. But because of Joseph, God used Joseph, an ordinary guy, in an extraordinary way. Now we can say there was a tomb, not a mass grave outside where you're digging through bodies looking to see if there's a body in there that belonged to Jesus. There was a tomb specifically identified with Jesus, and that tomb is empty. And Joseph of Arimathea is the reason we have that empty tomb. You know, there are periods in, in, of time and periods in the Bible where things are very dark. As we look at the whole history of the Bible, we had a series on the God's plan of re re redemption, his story from Genesis to Revelation. There are times in the history of God's people that things were very, very dark. This is one of them. But you think back when Joseph was thrown into prison, dark time. When the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt, when they are carried off into exile, we talked about that, they're carried off into exile, things didn't look too good for the team. Things were, looked pretty dark and depressed. When the flood covered the earth and killed everybody except Noah and the people on the ark, that's a dark, dark time. But we need to remember that in dark times, God hasn't left the building. God is still on the throne. God still has the power to bring hope out of apparent hopelessness. The problem we have is it's on His timetable when we would rather have it on our timetable. So we see that in Joseph, as a matter of fact. In terms of lessons for our lives, Joseph was a man of courage, like we've talked about. He publicly identified with Jesus to people who were hostile to Jesus, the Jews, his contemporaries, the Romans. He identified as a follower of Jesus. What a, what a man of courage. Compared with Peter, like I said, the two guys on the road, we struggle with that same thing, the pull of the crowd, the fear that if we identify with Jesus, someone might laugh, someone might stop a friendship, someone might, might think we're not too cool, whatever it is. But we're called, like Joseph, don't follow the crowd, don't follow the pull of the crowd. Because Joseph, look at the cost. You know, we're worried about perhaps being embarrassed or perhaps being ridiculed a little bit. Joseph... His political future was now shot. He was a Jewish leader. Now he identifies with Jesus publicly. Um, we don't know it, but I would guess his political future amongst his contemporary Jew colleagues was shot. Perhaps even life itself, because we know that it was only a little bit later in the Bible that Saul is hunting down Christians to kill them. It could be that Joseph of Arimathea's life could have been in jeopardy itself. So his risk was not only to uh, his political future, but his financial future and perhaps to life itself. He had nothing to gain by identifying with Jesus. Nothing to gain and everything to lose. Yet his courage compelled him to identify with Jesus. And he had courage in the face of defeat, apparent defeat, because Jesus was dead. He had so hoped like all of them, that the Messiah, Jesus was the Messiah to come deliver them, usher in the kingdom of God, defeat the Romans. Um, and now there was that lifeless corpse hanging on a cross. Hope was dashed. So he had the courage to honor Jesus when it appeared at the time that Jesus had let them down. 
when God seemed far away. So trusting Jesus, this is the lesson for us, trusting Jesus in the face of dire circumstances. Trusting Jesus and having courage in the face of hopelessness. I want to go through three takeaways that I've itemized uh, from our story and narrative of Joseph. First is this. God uses ordinary people like you and me to and followers to accomplish His purposes. You know, it's, it's refreshing to know God doesn't need us. It's releasing. God doesn't need us, but it's amazing that He will use ordinary people, that we get to play a part if we are available and open to God, He can use us much like He used some of these ordinary people in the Bible, including Joseph. So, the question for all of us, including myself, is are you willing to submit to God and be used by Him, often in an obscure role? May not be up front, may be behind the scenes, may you may be a nameless, faceless person, but to be used by God is an amazing thing. Ordinary people and an extraordinary God are a great combination. You know, I'm always, there's a story of a fellow named Edward Kimball. Now, this is not Richard Kimball, the fugitive. Uh, story of Edward Kimball. Some, some of you know this story. Here it is. It says, it was the year 1858 in the city of Boston. Edward Kimball was a young Sunday school teacher who made it a habit to personally give each student in his class an opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior. He was concerned about one of his students who worked in a shoe store. One day, Kimball visited the young man at the store where he found him in the back stocking shells, and he led him to Christ in that back room. That student was Dwight L. Moody, who eventually left the shoe business to become one of the great evangelists of all time. And people know who Dwight Moody is, Moody Bible Institute, etc., but very few people know who Edward Kimball is. He's an unsung hero. It's a fascinating life of a forgotten person. Edward Kimball. And that's also an inspiration to those of you who are involved with children. You never know when you teach young children, when you're involved in the lives of someone, a young person, what impact you have on that person. Think of Edward Kimball. Second thing is this, we need courage. We all need courage to publicly identify with Jesus. So let Joseph inspire you. Do you identify openly as a follower of Jesus? Do your, do your neighbors know it? Do your co-workers know it? Do your relatives and family know it? Or are you a secret follower of Jesus? It's easy for us to be open about our faith amongst fellow believers, but what about when you're in a crowd that is indifferent or hostile. Think of Joseph in the face of the hostility he saw when it wasn't a popular thing. At great cost, he stood firm. So we need to be people of courage to stand firm even in the face of opposition. How do you do that? How do you get courage? What are some practical things to get courage? A couple suggestions here. Number one, practice courage in the little things. We want to be like Joseph and stand bold in the great risk. Start at the little things. Walk across the street and meet your neighbor. Identify yourself that you're a, you go to church or you're, you're a part of a Bible study or something like that where you, you, you do a little step. 
Or you share God in a conversation. You're in a conversation and you somehow invoke God or bring God into that conversation. Little things, little things. And as you'll know, it's like a muscle. It'll get stronger and stronger. And pretty soon you will develop courage to enable you to stand strong in tough times. And of course, ask God for courage. 1 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-control. God will give you courage. It is a gift from God. Ask God to give you courage to be bold about your faith. And then also, keep company with courageous people. Surround yourself with friends that are courageous. Stay away from timid people. Nicodemus, okay? You know, it can't be overemphasized in this story about Joseph and Nicodemus. Two can stand stronger than one. That is the power of community. We need each other. You can't be the lone ranger. You know, for examples in the Bible where there were three men in the fiery furnace, okay? There were three men that wouldn't bow before Nebuchadnezzar's idol. Would one of, it, one of them all alone with no support, would he, that person been able to do it? Or three? You know, Jesus sent his disciples out in pairs. And here we have Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And in, in Ecclesiastes it says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. If two lie together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. I think that's talking about Joseph, Arimathea, and Nicodemus. I, thought, I bet Joseph maybe had a moment of being timid. Nicodemus says, you can do this, you can do this, stand firm. Then Nicodemus gets a little timid, wants to just, let's just kind of go home. And Joseph says, no, 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 we're in this together, buddy. Let's stand strong. So two can stand strong together. Nicodemus and Joseph stood together. The third point is this. We need courage in the face of hopelessness. Hopelessness. When God seems absent. Now, we don't like to say that, but there are times in our lives where we say, God, where are you? Have you left the building? Do you hear me? Things are spinning out of control. Things are hopeless. You know, if we look at our world and our culture today, you can't read the paper or turn the news on without thinking, I think the world is spinning out of control. Nothing but confusion. Right is, appears to be made to be wrong. And wrong, what is wrong, looks like it's right. There's no consequences for obvious violation of godly principles. The wicked seem to be prospering and doing very well. Where are you, God? How can you let this go on? And why don't you do something about this? Evil seems to triumph. So it's okay. Matter of fact, you look in Psalms, there's times when they say, where are you, God? It's okay that sometimes we are in a facing circumstance where we say, where are you, God? You know, war in, in Ukraine, where 100 to 200 people are dying, it's 200 soldiers are dying every day, let alone all the, all the people. Where's God in all this stuff? Or COVID interrupts, interrupted our lives incredibly, turning everything upside down. Where, where's God? when evil seems to triumph. You know, Illinois is the, uh, becoming the abortion capital 
of the United States. There's a billboard. If you go to St. Louis and you're driving back into Illinois from St. Louis, there is a billboard that says, Welcome to Illinois, where abortion is safe and legal. And we, you drive past that and you say, God, what do you think about that? I mean, I, you, is lightning going to come down and hit that billboard? Should it come down and hit that billboard? Where are you, God? How much longer are you going to put up with this? You know, a week and a half ago, Governor Prisker signed into law, or a law that overturned the parental notification for abortions. Before that, there was a law that said in order for a young female underage to have an abortion, the parents had to be notified and give their consent. But now, that's been overturned. Children can get an abortion without any notice to their parents, without even their parents maybe even knowing if it's done right. And there are groups out there that are fostering that and letting young girls know that's an opportunity. So what does that tell you about babies? What does it tell you about young girls? What does it tell you about the rights of parents? And you, get, you read that in the paper and you get angry. And you think, God, where are you? How much longer are you going to put up with this stuff? People are dying because of this. Or how about when a gunman enters into a school and randomly shoots young children? Where is God? Things appear to be out of control. Things appear to be hopeless. That's the same situation Joseph faced. Hopelessness. His Savior was dead. Joseph would say, during these hard times, he would say this, honor God. Don't give up. Do the right thing. Minister. Pray for people. Minister to people where you can. Hope in the ultimate time when God will, in fact, intervene and things will be made right. Hope is a good thing. We may not know how, like Joseph, how this is going to play out, what the next chapter is, but we need to stand strong and honor God and stand firm for godly things. Or maybe personally, maybe personally, you're in a position in your life right now where something seems to be hopeless. God seems to be absent. Something you've been praying for, for deliverance from, or praying for a friend or relative or loved one. A loved one dies. Where are you, God? What's, what's going on here? You get a bad diagnosis from the doctor. A relationship falls apart. Divorce happens. Children and parents are alienated. Or a financial setback. You lose, someone loses their job. Or they, they just don't know, they don't have ends meet. So maybe there's, if there's something in your life that stinks right now, and you say, what's this about God? Where are you, God? Things appear to be hopeless. Joseph would say, God, I'm going to trust you. I don't know what's happened here. I don't know what the end result is going to be, but I trust you. So when things are hopeless, we need to turn and turn into God. Like that's what Joseph did. He didn't walk away from God like everybody else. He turned and embraced God at that point. So let the example and the courage of Joseph of Arimathea inspire you to stand firm. Let me close with a quote from Apostle Paul that means a ton to me. Uh, let it encourage you as you face difficult times. It does me all the time. It's this, 1 Corinthians 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully 
to the work of the Lord. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let that verse, memorize that verse. Let it dwell in you and let it help you to be that person of courage like Joseph was.